What is up, guys? Before we start the podcast today, I just wanted to say a huge thank you. Not only thank you for tuning in, but also for sharing this with your friends and family. I also wanted to give a big shout out to today's guest, Clint Pulver. If at any time during this episode you're wanting to know more about him or to connect with him, make sure you check out his website, clintpulver.com. Right now, Clint has put together a virtual online event where you can have your team, school, or business tune in and hear Clint speak. He is also coming out with an amazing book called I Love It Here, a book all about creating an amazing workplace where people not only grow, but they also feel like they are part of the team. Make sure that you go to his website, clintpulver.com, to learn more. Thank you so much, and welcome to the show. What is up, guys, and welcome to the Self Design Show, a podcast completely centered around helping other people unite and become the best versions of themselves. In an effort to break any negative stigma towards mental health, I'll be interviewing professionals and members of the community to share with us their stories and learnings from them. Today, I am with Clint Pulver, a super popular speaker here in Utah. Clint, I'm so excited to be with you. Dude, it's an honor, man. Thanks for inviting me and uh, letting me be on the show. This is awesome. No problem. For, uh, for those of you who don't know Clint super well, first off, I recommend you look him up because he's awesome. Um, but secondly, he, he started off doing drumming assemblies, and I, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. That's actually one of the assemblies I was able to be a part of, and it was just so exciting and empowering. Um, but even more recently, you start to do like the undercover millennial where you go in and work with corporations and help them understand kind of what their employees are going through. Totally. And, uh, we'll, we'll probably talk more about that as well. And then you're also writing your own book right now, which is so awesome. Yeah, it is a long process. I will probably never do it ever again in my life, right? Oh. It's no joke. Uh, it's a lot of work, but I'm very excited about it. That will be awesome. And so I was thinking to start off today, at least the story that you tell most of the assemblies is, is your story about being a tapper in, in elementary school. And so maybe we can just start off with you telling that story of being a tapper, but then also being able to find your purpose in life. Yeah. So uh, growing up, I was the kid that didn't struggle with science or English. I was the kid that struggled to hold still. Uh, anytime I would focus, I would try to pay attention or I would even, you know, do an assignment and my, my body just moved. My right hand would start to, to hit the desk. I'd grab a pencil and I'd start clicking it. My, my feet would move. And obviously, if you're sitting next to somebody in a meeting or they're clicking their pen or tapping their foot, like that gets annoying really fast. And I did. I got teased. I got bullied. Kids would call me the tapper. I got constantly told to sit still. People called me the twitcher uh, because I just I had a hard time focusing. You know, you could call it ADHD or ADD or, you know, that was kind of like during the time when that was like on the rise and coming out as 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 an issue. And I got sent to the principal's office one day and because I couldn't stop moving and the teacher didn't know what to do. And she's like, I just need you out of class. She's like, I can't teach. So go to the principal's office. Principal's like, dude, I don't know what to do with you. And he's like, no, I'm going to send you back to class and just sit on your hands. Okay kid like don't hit anything just sit on your hands and I went back and that worked for like five seconds because when I sat on my hands my feet would start tapping and it just happened again and again and again until one day there was a teacher 
and he was my fifth grade teacher. His name was Mr. Jensen. And dude, this guy had been teaching for a long time, white hair, big Coke bottle glasses. He always wore suspenders and a red tie. And he just, he looked at me as I was in his class and as I was tapping and he just gently said, Hey, young man in the back. He's like, yeah, you, you. He said, I need to see you after class. We're going to have a conversation. And all the other fifth graders in the class are all like, ooh, Twitcher's going to die. trouble, yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, oh, man. The bell rang, class dismissed. I'm so nervous. It's a completely empty room minus me and Mr. Jensen. And I've already been sent to the principal's office. I've already been yelled at. I get bullied and teased every day. I'm like, this is it. Like, I'm getting kicked out of school as a 10-year-old. And Mr. Jensen pulls me down uh, to, to the back of the class, sits me down, and he says, listen, do you know why we're having a conversation? And I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, it's because I tap. It's the same reason anybody wants to talk to me. Right. And, and he said, listen, he's like, Clint, I've watched you. And I watch like every time you start moving your right hand, but you can move your left hand at a completely different rhythm. He's like, when you're doing your assignment, like your foot will go, but your right foot's doing something different. He said, you have complete independence over your limbs. You, you are ambidextrous. And yeah. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I'm like, Amble, what? I'm in fifth grade. He's like, just try something for me. He's like, I got to know. I got to know. He said, can you tap your head and rub your belly at the same time? He's like, just, 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 just try it. And so I'm like, okay. And I could do it so easy. And then he said, can you switch it? He's like, can you, can you rub your head and then tap your belly? And I could do that. And I, back and forth, I'm switching without thinking about it. Right. And he, he sits there and he laughs, he smiles, he leans back at his desk in his chair and he looks at me and he goes, I, I knew it. And he leaned forward and, and he said, I don't think you're a problem. I just think you're a drummer. And I've always been somebody in my life that has believed that a single moment in time can change somebody's life. Like if you, if you look at your life and what makes it a great story, it's the moments. It really is. Like that's what we remember. That's what we treasure. Some of them are even hard or, or, or even tragic at times, but it's the significance of those experiences that define us. And those little moments add up to be a lot and they write our story. And I'll never forget in that moment, Mr. Jensen, he leaned back in his, his desk and he opened up his top drawer and he reached inside and he took out my very first pair of drumsticks, my very first pair. And he said, Clint, he goes, these are for you. I got these for you. And he said, here's the thing. I, I need you to promise me just one thing. Just promise you'll keep them in your hands. Just play with them. You know, he, he said, he said, you know, use the pots and pans and, and, and just practice and see what happens. And that was a moment 22 years ago that I can honestly say changed my life forever. It was a moment where somebody believed in me. It was a moment where somebody saw something in me that I didn't even see within myself. And uh, it helped me write a better story. And I can honestly say 22 years ago, uh, literally to this exact day, I, I have tried my best to keep my promise to Mr. Jensen. I've had the opportunity to tour and record all over the world as a professional drummer. Uh, I've been on America's Got Talent. I recently uh, just won an Emmy Award uh, for a, a short film that we put together about Mr. Jensen and that story. Um, I remember I graduated high school and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. 
So what do you do when you graduate high school and you don't know what you want to do with your life? Uh, you go to college. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to school and I graduated in 2012 with a bachelor's degree and zero college debt. And wow. that was all from music scholarships. And uh, I started the very first drum line in my high school. I started the very first drum line and coached it at Utah Valley University. And, and like so many things have happened because of one moment and I don't say all those things to go, oh, wow, good for you, Clint, or, oh, that's so cool. Like, that's not the reason. The reason I'm telling you that is because when we associate with good people doing good things, we find purpose through the association and connection with other purposeful people. And he right. was a person that helped me to find purpose by seeing potential, not the problem. How do we see possibilities, not the limitations? And so with people who are, who are listening and they're kind of in that, the pre Mr. Jensen phase, right? They're the tappers, whatever that is, whether that's they're they are struggling with maybe some kind of mental health thing, or maybe they're just have a strange talent. Like what do you, what would you say to those people that maybe haven't found that, that talent or ran into their Mr. Jensen yet? What is, what are some things that they can do in their life right now to be able to find that purpose, to find that moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's somewhat of a hard question to answer because everybody's different, right? Everybody's in a different situation. Some people are battling with depression. Some people are struggling with anxiety. Maybe it's suicidal thoughts. Maybe people are struggling with relationships or uh, an, an abusive situation. Some people are struggling with uh, addiction, right? So there's so many variables. Uh, so when I answer this, uh, I answer somewhat broadly, but it also depends. Every person is in a different situation. And there's lots of things that you can do. Uh, for me, personally, in my life, when I have struggled, um, one of the greatest things I have ever done is is to strive to ask for help. I know that's hard. I know that's difficult. I know that might even seem trite or cliche. But it is true. As I reached out and said, listen, I'm struggling. I'm stressed. I am frustrated. I'm having a super bad day. Mm. And I, I reach out to what I call my board of mentors, uh, trusted friends. Uh, uh, even my, my spouse, my wife is on that board of mentors. People that I love, people that I lean on, people that um, have confidence and character and candor and the ability to care and the credibility to help me become better. If you look at any great story, any great film or a playwright, there's always like the main character and they're the hero of the story. So like, like uh, Aladdin, right? right? Aladdin is trying to figure out how to solve these issues, these problems. And then who shows up? It's the genie. Right. right? Look at, look at Star Wars, like Luke Skywalker, who shows up? Obi-Wan, uh, Katniss Everdeen, Hamish shows up. Uh, Simba had Mufasa, Rocky, Rocky had Mick, right? right. These great mentors that, that because of who they are, they connected somebody to their dream. They helped somebody through a difficult time. And so I believe that in, you, in that struggle, one of the things that has helped me is to do whatever it takes to associate with astonishing people. Hmm. If you put a hard to catch horse in a field with an easy to catch horse, you usually end up with two hard to catch horses, right? right? If you put a sick child in the room with a, a healthy child, you usually end up with two sick children. So the association matters, right? Jim Rohn always said you become the average of the five people that you associate with most. 
And if we do what it takes to associate with good people that are doing the things that we want to do, that are living the life that we want to live, then chances are it's going to stack the deck in your favor to also live that kind of a life. So that would be, that would be my first thought. Okay. My second thought, if, if I can jump, can I say one more thing? Yeah, go ahead, please. Um, only, only about 3% of Americans actually do what it takes to live a mentally stable life. Wow, that's a low statistic. Yeah, so, so the Mayo Clinic just, just did a study. Uh, this, was, this was like, uh, I think it was two years ago. And where they show that, that less than 3% of us actually do what is required to increase the odds of living a stable life, like a mentally healthy lifestyle. And so what they, what they showed, and, and right now during coronavirus, uh, Kaiser, another health medical clinic, they just came out with a new study three months ago. And they said that this exact time compared to last year, we have risen a thousand percent in depression and anxiety because of COVID, because of isolation, because right. of the pandemic, because of a loss of job, uncertainty. So it is, it's increasing right now. So I think it's really important to, we talk about the intangibles and, and associating with good people and how do we create positive vibes and thoughts. But I do want to focus on the tangibles hmm. because there are things that we can control. So for, for example, number one, like what are, what are you eating? right? Your diet, eating healthy food, your output is going to always be equivalent to your input, right? What are you eating? What are you taking in? Are you, are you eating granola bars? Are you eating Oreos? Are you eating top ramen day after day, macaroni and cheese, right? That stuff is going to affect your diet. It's going to affect how you feel. So that's, that's one Uh, sleeping, sleeping, right? Are you getting enough sleep? We know that the average, like, recommended adult uh, sleep recommendation is, is seven to, to nine hours, seven to nine hours. And most people don't get that, right? You're right. going to bed super late. You're getting up early or you're getting up really early. You're going, we're, I don't know. We're just on a crazy routine, right? So what can you do to go to bed a little bit earlier? Uh, screen time is also another huge factor. Can we cut down the screen time? Screen time causes, uh, you know, excessive amounts of screen time causes back pain. It can cause problems and issues with your, your fingers. It can cause uh, back problems, obesity. And then, and then we look at, you know, just the, the, the psychological effects. The Hawthorne Institute, they just came out with a study and they, they showed that your average, in an average day, you're, uh, in one day, a human, an adult will have anywhere from 15,000 to 60,000 thoughts in one day. Some people are like, dude, I barely have 12. I promise. Yeah, right. <laughs> but on average, 15,000 to 60,000 thoughts. But what they also found is that 80% of those thoughts are negative. Wow. That's like, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm not worthy enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough. You know, I only got 56 likes on my Instagram pic when I usually get 400. Mm-hmm. Right. Or why does so-and-so have 5,000 Facebook friends and I only have 4,000 or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. but you take 80% of negativity and then you compound that day after day. It affects, it affects the mental health and screen time is a player in that. The other one that I would add is, is, is go and get a physical exam. Like go and meet with the doctor. 
Like go meet with a medical professional because sometimes like maybe your testosterone's low. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe you've got like, you know, a, a deficiency in iron, right? Maybe something's wrong with your blood work or, or, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's something to be said for going in and, and meeting with a medical professional and saying, Hey, like I need help. Like, this is what I'm struggling with. And that's not to say like jump on medication right away, but like, see if there's other things that are affecting you and your mental health. And, and sometimes a doctor and a physical exam can do that. Maybe they'll recommend therapy, right? right? Or maybe they will recommend medication. So, so those are just a few tangibles that you can also ask yourself and say, you know, am I doing what I need to be doing? Exercise would be another one would be my last one, you know, 30 minutes. Can you put in 30 minutes of exercise every single day and get your heart rate above 125 BPM? Mm-hmm. Like those few things. So sleep, eating, get a, get a physical exam, reduce the screen time, exercise. Those, those five things, if you can control those, that, that to me, like give that a shot, give that a go, right? Like try to control the controllables. And usually that will help in, in some regard. And if not, then, okay, let's move on. But, but so much of it is lifestyle. Right. Uh, in, in my, in my, in my experience, that if I'm feeling low or I'm struggling with mental illness or something, sometimes it's like, okay, well, what can I, what can I change? What can I work on that will help me get through this? And I think just like listening to that statistic of like having 80% negative thoughts, if, if you were to physically, if your body or your stomach or your legs, whatever it is, were to 80% of the time be like painful, you wouldn't, you would obviously go see a doctor. You'd be like, oh yeah, like my leg has been hurting 80% of the time. Like, yeah. Yep. And it's, yep. it's this weird thing. And it's hard because like, there's kind of this, the stigma towards mental health. It's like, no, like, I'll just walk it off. Like, I'll be fine. Like, it will be okay. You know? And I think that's so hard because, because it will just lead people from not getting that help or trying to change their lifestyle or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's easy to get into that mode of like, I'm fine. Or like, I'll just get through it. Or I'm just having a bad day. And sometimes that's true. Right. And time needs time. Right. Sometimes you just, you, it, it gets better. Right. And I do believe that too. I think that's an important aspect to also mention is that I look back in my life and I look at some of the hardest days I've ever had. And always, always, it has gotten better. Hmm. Like it really truly has. Like I look at the hardest, most difficult times and eventually I found my smile again eventually like the sun rose, right? Eventually the clouds parted and I got through it. Time healed that. Now it was because I controlled the controllables. I looked at, and I took action, right? I think when we talk about mental health, like take some action, be willing to, to move. I always have said, God can't steer a parked car. And when we, when we take action, when we get moving, right, we create opportunity for, for, great friends, good people, opportunities to take place. I think the moment we fail is the moment we don't do anything about it. I like that a lot. I think something, a conversation that I had with a therapist I was working with is he says, if you look back, I guarantee your worst moments as far as like feeling bad were probably alone. And they probably became a lot better when you just reached out to somebody or tried to change the situation, went outside or just changed something up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Change, change the, the, the routine, shake it up a little bit. And, and to like, 
some people might be listening to this and, and they might say, Clint, I can barely get out of bed. And you're like listing all these things to do. Like, I don't, I, I can't even like tie my shoes, right? Like I can't even get out of bed. Like I'm so low. Then, then, then I would say too, to those people, like. It's hard. Fine, fine. I mean, yeah, it is hard, man. And And sometimes you have to like, you have to just like. I think there's something too to be said of like, you know, take a day off, you know, my goodness, give yourself a break. Like, yeah, like you can't get out of bed. Well, freaking put on Netflix and, and, and take a day, you know, like give yourself a little bit of time. Sometimes time just needs time. And, and, and if you wake up another day and you're like, you know what, I can't get out of bed today. Good for you. Go as far as you can see. If we can just go as far as we can see, like usually when we get there, we can, we can see further. And my mom growing up, she always said, Clint, little by little makes a little a lot. And it's those little things, those little moments. If you can get out of bed, great. And then, you know, maybe you can, you can tie your shoes, right? You can brush your teeth, you know, hop in the shower, right? Little progressive steps, little by little makes a little a lot. I think the key attribute in all of this though, is we have to be willing to take action, Right. It's in the doing that things get done. And I think sometimes when we struggle with mental illness or hard things, sometimes we stand in front of a fireplace and we say, give, give, me, give me heat, then I'll give you wood, right? I know that sounds really stupid. I don't know where that came from. It makes but sense. But, it, but it's true. Like we kind of sit there and, you know, give me, give me heat, then I'll give you wood, right? Like send a miracle, let something happen, change my, my, my attitude, and then I'll get better. Where, where we've got to give the wood, we've got to give the fuel, we've got to give the effort, even if it's just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's what sparks the possibility of success. Wow, that was powerful. Kind of to build off that, and this is kind of like a good, I got a good transition to the next question is, is so you met Mr. Jensen, he gave you these drumsticks and like, it kind of seems like when you tell the story, it's like, okay, boom, there's a big change. Like, it's all better. Like, but I'm assuming that like the bullying didn't go away. It probably continued for a little while or there's even maybe people, I I hope it wasn't your parents, but I'm sure there's like when you're tapping around at the drumsticks or like beating on pans that people are like, Clint, like, please just stop. Like, it's so loud. How did you, how did you keep that motivation of like, okay, I know who I am. So for example, we might have people that are listening. That's like, they've discovered videography or business or dance or art but then people might kind of like beat them down along the way. How did you push through that? What was your experience after the Mr. Jensen? For me, the drums, the drums and drumsticks and like, like all of a sudden, like I was a drummer and, and drummers were cool, right? That was a cool thing. And it gave me a little bit of an identity. It gave me a confidence boost um, because it was cool. It it was, I, I think everybody wants to be seen Everybody wants to be heard and everybody wants to be understood. Mm-hmm. And when you find something that allows you to feel that and to do that, man, there's power behind that. There's, there's a ton of power. And we teach corporations on how to do that with their employees, right? If we can give somebody that identity, if we can give somebody that purpose, that significance, that role of meaning, then man, that, that, that fuels productivity, engagement, uh, culture, all of the good things that you want in business, but it also does it for the individual in their lives as well. Um, so 
yeah, it, it really helped to give me that sense of identity. Now, however, my parents were still like, well, you can't become a drummer for a living. <laughs> like, yeah, that's probably hard. Yeah, they're like, like, dude, how are you going to support a family? Like, what are you going to do? You can tour all over the world? Or are you going to, like, go live in L.A.? Like, what are you going to do? Like, you, that's not a substantial, subs, you know, a, a, a sustainable career. And so there was always that happening. And you will find that in, in the arts, in any kind of, uh, a lot of the intangible jobs, like like you mentioned, and, and even videography work or design work or uh, being a musician, being a dancer, right? Well, there's always the stigma of like, well, how do you support and make a living doing that? And to me, it always came down to how do I, how do I not so much make a living? It was more of how do I make a life worth living? Big difference there. Wow. And when I was in college, I had a mentor that shared a quote with me and the quote is by Oscar Wilde. And the quote says this to live is the rarest thing in the world for most people just exist. And that quote literally changed my life. That quote haunted me every single day after I graduated college, <laughs> because dude, I, I, when I was in college, I, I, I chased the money because everybody was telling me, dude, you got to get the job that's got the benefits and the stability and the 401k. And, and, and that's true, dude, like that is important. Okay. I will be the first to say that life is real. Bills are real. A mortgage is real. And if you want to live as a responsible human being, there are things that cost money in this life. However, you still have the opportunity to live not just exist. And, and that was really important to me because I, I graduated college and I worked in the medical field. I went and I chased the, the almighty dollar and I was like, hey, well, that's a stable career. That's a good industry. And they make really good money. And I'd worked really hard to get into a position. I was an orthopedic specialist, went to two years of specialized medical school, like worked my tail off to get to where I was at. However, every single day I was absolutely miserable. I was existing Mark Twain said there's two important days in a person's life, the day you're born and then the day you figure out why. And every day I'm like, dude, I was not born to do this. Like, this is not what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I remember I sat down with two, two of my buddies out of just distress. We were, we were at a burger joint eating garbage food. <laughs> and I said to my homies, I was like, guys, wouldn't it be crazy if you could find a job that allowed you to do three things and they're like, what, what, what three things? And I'm like, number one is passion. Like what if it allowed you to, to just do what you love every single day? And then I said, but what if it also provided that's number two, what if it provided for you in a way that was sufficient for your needs? And then three, what if it contributed to your purpose in life? Like allowed you to do something bigger than yourself most of the time. And both my buddies sat back and they're like, whoa. You know, they're like, dude, that does not exist. Right. What are you talking about? They're like, what you're, what you're like defining, what you're talking about is literally an anomaly. <laughs> and I'm like, anomaly what? They're like, it's just, it's so rare. They're like, look at a doctor. Like a doctor makes tons of money, but like the stress and they're always gone from their family and the, they, they risk like malpractice insurance and all the dictation they have to do. Or look at like a teacher, like they're full of 
purpose and they might be doing what they love, but every summer they're looking for extra jobs because they can't make ends meet. Right. And he's like, you got to give one up one for the other. Like you can't have all three. And my buddy was like, it's just rare. And I was like, like living. He's like, what are you talking about? And, and that's when the quote hit me to live is the rarest thing in the world. And two weeks after that conversation, I quit my job Wow! in the medical field. And I jumped into the world of professional speaking full time. And that was four and a half years ago. And I can honestly tell you that the moment I quit my job and I took that risk and I jumped into the unknown uh, was truly the day I started living. And it was to follow those three P's, passion, the ability to provide and to live a purposeful life. And man, it has not been easy, but it is 100%, it's been worth it. And I've lived a life of significance, not just a life of success. There's a big difference between those two things. Right. I've heard it said too, it's, it's kind of like a fishing trip. You're going on this fishing trip and you hope to catch a 20 pound fish, like the biggest fish, you're just hoping to get this big guy and bring it home. And then obviously a 20 pound fish isn't going to be super easy to get. It's going to take some time. It's going to take a week. It's going to take two weeks. But we get there and we're fishing and we get a five pound fish and then another five pound fish and another one. And, and we kind of get to this point where we're like, well, the 20 pound fish isn't there anymore. Kind of like you were saying. And then we just give up on it. It could still be in the water swimming around. We could see it with our eyes, but we're just going to give up and just settle for the five pound fish instead of yeah. kind of living. The Gallup organization, it's just, uh, they show that 80%, 80% of the workforce hates what they do for a living. 80% of Americans hate their job. Like they're just not fulfilled. They look at it as it's just a job. It's a job. It's a paycheck. Yeah. You know, it just is what it is. 80%. And dude, like you spend so much time in your life working. Like you take 40 hours a week and then compound that, you know, 52 weeks in a year. Like, dude, that is a ton of time mm -hmm. to be doing something that you hate or that you're not fulfilled by. And, and I was fortunate enough that I was young enough and I was in a position and a place in my life where I could pivot. I could move. I, 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 I could take the risk. Yeah, I still had a mortgage. Yes, I had a house payment. I had a car payment. I had all the gas, utility bills, things I still had to pay for. However, I wasn't married yet. I, I, I didn't have a family. I didn't have, there wasn't a ton of risk associated per se. So I still had that chance to move and pivot. And I think that's why I try so hard with young people to get them to go out and to experience different things, to associate with other people, to live the life that you want to live. Because when you're young, you have that opportunity to really chase that. And you, you can design it. That's the cool part. Like, don't live a life by default. Live a life by design. You can design it. And when you really course that out and you plot it out and you get down to the dirty details, like the little, like minute details man, you de-risk the, 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 the opportunity for uh, not meeting that goal. I think a lot of us are like, we're afraid, right? You're afraid to, maybe you want to be a dancer, but you're afraid because everyone's telling you you're not going to make money or you're not going to be able to sustain yourself. And I, I would say people that worry about that, get down to the details. Find somebody that's done it. Find five or six people that have done it 
and do whatever it takes to associate with those people. Because if they did it, you can do it. You've just got to design the path and do the things that great people have done in order to become great. And when you do that, you de-risk the, the opportunity of failure and mm -hmm. you can move forward. It in increases the confidence. It de-risks the opportunity of failure. So you move forward. You can take those steps. So to expound on that, you said associate with those people that will get you where you're at. Associate with those people of, of who you want to be. Yeah. If, if there's people right now, a majority of the people that listen or tune in, they're a lot between like 18 and 25. And they're in this yeah. phase where they're like getting a college degree because they feel like it's the only way or like it's what they need to do. Or they're trying to go for a job that they feel like they have to get just to pay off the bills. But yeah. maybe they have another passion like dancing or like speaking or videography or whatever it is. It could be anything. What would you say to those people that are kind of stuck in this middle ground of like, well, I need to earn this money so I can pay for stuff, but like, I'm not happy and I would rather be doing this. Like where, where's their starting point? Where can, how can they create that moment in their lives to be like, you know what? I'm going to start living. I'm going to start going after my dreams. Yeah. Yeah. If I've always believed that if you're facing in the right direction, all you have to do is keep walking. However, most people don't know what that direction is. So you've got to find the direction. You've got to find the thing that allows you to do those three P's. So if you know what that is, then, then great. That's a different conversation. But if you don't know what that is, that's number step number one. You got to figure, figure out, okay, where are we going? What's the direction? What do we want to become? And then I would say step number two is then find the people that are doing that, that are living, breathing, eating, sleeping, drinking the life that you want to live. And, and do whatever it takes to associate with them. Now, how do you associate with them? How do you find these people, Clint? Do, my, 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 my dad, growing up, <clears throat> I grew up in, in Heber City, Utah. And Heber City is like a, a wrestling town. Like they breed wrestlers there. It's crazy. Right. Kel Sanderson, the greatest wrestler of all time, gold medal, Olympic champion, went to that high school. And I remember every Friday night when I was wrestling, I wrestled for eight years, my dad would drag my butt to the varsity wrestling matches on Friday night. And, and we'd sit and we would just watch the greats and I'd watch Kel Sanderson. And, but it was Friday night, dude. And I'm like, dad, like, this is date night. I was, dad, this is like night where like we go out and do stuff with my friends. And right. why do we got to keep going and like going to the matches? And my dad, I'll never forget when he said, he said, son, if you want to be great at wrestling, then you got to hang out by the mat. And it's kind of true, right? If you, want to, if you want to get good at basketball, hang out by the hoop. If you want to become a dancer, where do the dancers hang out? If you want to become a speaker, where do the speakers hang out? So almost anything in this world has an association. So it's a club. It's an organization. It's a, 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 a meeting place where people that love this thing get together and they talk about how much they love it. Right. So, for example, in the speaking world, we have an association called the National Speakers Association. If you are a speaker and you do it for a business, chances are you know what the National Speakers Association is. That's where the speakers go and hang out. Uh, and so I joined the National Speakers Association. Toastmasters is another really great organization where people go and they want to learn how to become a better speaker. Any type of industry will have these types of associations. 
also Google is your friend, right? The internet is an amazing tool. All you have to do is Google and say, who are the top five videographers on YouTube? Great. Then go find them on YouTube. Then I bet they have an Instagram page. Start shooting them a message. Like literally, like you'll, you'll have people that won't give you the time of day, but you'll never know if they won't give you the time of day until you ask them. Be willing to just ask, like ask people, ask people for help. The cool part, if you're listening to this and you're in that 18 to 25 year old range, chances are you are in what we call rookie mode. You're a rookie. You are young, you are inexperienced, and you're trying to figure it out. That is the greatest opportunity that you have right now in your life because most good humans are willing to help out the rookies. Why? Because we remember when we were a rookie. We remember, most people will remember what it was like when we got started. And so when you utilize the rookie card and you reach out to somebody you're like, hey, listen, I'm just getting started and I'm trying to figure out my life and I'm just, you know, I'm interested in this and I'm trying to, you know, how did you get started and what worked for you? And you just, you admit that you have no idea what you're doing and you admit that you're just trying. Most people are going to give you a little bit of their time. And then here's the other key aspect in this is when they do give you your time, when they do give you a little bit of, uh, whether it's like, you know, they want to be on your podcast or they hop on a Zoom call with you or they, they just jump on a phone call, right? Or they send you an email. If they do that, if people give you their time, dude, gratitude will do more for you than any college degree, than any accolade, than any trophy or award or title that you have. If you are grateful and you are kind and you are just thankful for the time that people give you, it will do more for you in your life than anything else. I remember if somebody gave me a phone call or if somebody sat down with me and talked to me, I was the king of like Jamba Juice gift cards, man. Mm -hmm. I would send people like, and at the time, like, dude, all I could afford was five bucks. Like, it's like a five dollars. If they can't even buy a smoothie for that, I, like I don't even think. Like, but it was just a sense of gratitude, and I'd do a handwritten card, and I'd always get their address, and I just send them a, a thank you. And I remember there was one dude. His name was Mark Sharonbrock, and I was just getting started in the speaking industry, and the guy was a legend, like best speaker in the world, like just killed it. He was so cool. He was funny. He built a great business, and I said that. That is the dude that I want to be like. And right, we got to do whatever it takes to associate with astonishing people. And you got to hang out by the hoop, right? You got to hang out by the mat. And I knew he was going to be at the National Speakers Association National Convention. And that was called Influence. So I bought a freaking ticket. It was like $1,000. It was so expensive. (laughs) I had just quit my job. And I flew to Florida to meet this dude. And I remember like on day one of the conference and I'm walking through the hall and there he is. He's a hall of fame speaker and he's sitting there and he's talking to two other hall of fame speakers, like iconic dudes. Like if there were posters for speakers, like these would be the LeBron James and the Michael Jordans of the speaking world. And they're just standing there. I'm so nervous. And I go up and I just, I tap him on the shoulder and he turns around and I'm like, Mark Sharabrock. I'm Clint Pulver. I was like, you have no idea who I am, but I just literally flew thousands of miles to meet with you. And I I just quit my job. And so I I told him I was in rookie mode. Right. And I said, I would, I would just really love it 
if you have 10 minutes of your time during this convention that I could just talk to you. <laughs> and he looked, I remember he looked at his watch, told him his like cup of coffee and he's like, let's do it right now. No way. Okay. And he told his, his buddies, he's like, excuse me, gentlemen. And we sat down and this legend of legends, it gave me his time and we sat down and he just poured into me. He gave to me. He helped me. He mentored me. He, 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 yeah, he connected me to my dream. And I remember I got his business card with his address and I sent him a Java juice gift card with a handwritten note, just expressing my gratitude. And he wrote me back via email and he said, Clint, you are the first person in 20 years of being in this industry who has actually handwritten and taken the time to say, thank you. He said, anytime you need anything, you call me. Wow. And man, I have taken advantage of that. <laughs> Mark and Sue Sharon Brock are dear friends of mine and we've had many a conversations and he has helped me and guided me in my career in so many ways, but it just started with, you know, a little bit of hope, a little bit of faith, taking action, right? And then and then it followed up with gratitude. And it opened the door for an opportunity for me to continue in my journey. And that's how we build relationships. That's how we design the life that we want to, to design. Hope, chance, risk, action, gratitude, and consistency. Wow. And yeah, it was it was a cool it was a cool learning lesson. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, for those, I mean, this is a pretty new episode and we'll see where it goes, but like right now is just like a testament of that moment, just like taking a step forward. Um, I'm trying to follow my dreams as far as like speaking and being an influencer and podcasting, whatever it is. And I just reached out to Clint via, you know, DM on Instagram. And I was so shocked when he responded and he's like, sure. And I think it kind of ties back to that passion part where it's like, if you're passionate about something and you see somebody else that's passionate about something, there's like, I feel like there's very little chance of being like, no, like, I don't want to help you achieve your dreams because yeah. you've been through the same thing, kind of just like you were saying. Yep. And you know, and you will, you'll have some people that are like, no, nah, I just don't have the time for it. Or they just won't respond. Then that's okay. Go to right. the next person. Go to the next person. Eventually somebody's going to say yes. It just takes a little bit of grit. It takes a little bit of tenacity, but that's how winning is done. That's how we create success. You miss every shot you don't take. Exactly. Amen. So, well, I do want to take a little bit of time. You are writing this book about, I love it here, falling in love with your job or falling in love with the, the work that you're in. Maybe you could just spend a little bit of time in telling us about that book and what it's about. Yeah. So we've got a book that's coming out in April. We titled the book, I love it here, how great leaders create organizations their people never want to leave. And it all happened in a moment when I was in New York City. I was in a mastermind group. I met with this guy who ran a big company, he talked about how amazing his company was and that he didn't have to change how he managed his employees versus how he manages his employees uh, today versus 20 years ago. So there's like no need to change, no need to adapt. And he's like, this is how I do things and we get results. And I was like, okay. And we're in his store it was a big retail chain, a lot of sporting good stuff. And I remember looking around and all of his employees were my age or younger. So they were like millennials, Gen Z, 
young people. And I remember thinking, I wonder if they would say the same thing. I wonder if they would talk about this company in such a bright light as the CEO did. And so he gave us like 40 minutes to go buy swag. I didn't want any swag. So I took that 40 minutes and I interviewed six of his employees. And I just literally went up to him just like how I am right now. I have backwards hat on and my normal clothes. And I just went up and I said, Hey, I'm just curious. What's it like to work here? You know, like, would you recommend it? And long story short, five out of the six employees that I had interviewed, five of them said they would not be working for this dude and his store in less than three and a half months. Wow. Dude, people were miserable. People were fearful. People were upset. People were stressed. Uh, They were not happy in their place of work. And I remember how honest they were with me because I wasn't a manager, right? I wasn't a, a survey. I was just another employee. And uh, I, I mean, I was just another millennial and it was a cool moment because I thought, what if the CEO could hear this? What if he could actually get this insight to be better for his people? And that's how it started. And I, that was the day that I started what's called the undercover millennial program. And over the last five years, I have worked with over 181 uh, organizations. Wow. And I've interviewed over 10,000 employees undercover. And I would go in as an employee looking for a job. And I would say, hey, I'm thinking about applying. What's it like to work here? And the employees would tell me everything. Wow. And they tell me the good. They tell me the bad, what was working, what wasn't working. And the coolest thing is I feel like we've got the most real and authentic data on how great leaders were creating loyalty that lasted because that was the magic of the research is when uh, an employee would say, I love my job. When I would say like, what's it like to work here? And they're like, Oh, my manager is the bomb. Susie, you got to meet Susie. Susie, come here. And like, they introduced me to the manager and I say, you got to apply. Like those types of responses happened and they happened in specific organizations continuously. And, And that's what, after all of the research, when, when, we, when we saw those types of trends and then we interviewed the leaders behind those responses and the culture and how that was created, that's why we decided to title the book, I Love It Here. And it's all solution-based research on how other leaders can create those types of responses, right? Those types of buy-in, that type of engagement, that type of meaning uh, in their employees' lives. And it's been a, it's, I've been writing the book for four years and it, I, like I mentioned at the that start, is a long process. Yeah. It's such a long process, but man, it is a great book. It really is. And it, it's going to help people. And, uh, I'm really excited to, to get it out into the world. And so for those of, for those of people that are listening that maybe aren't in that kind of transitional phase or that rookie mode, let's say they are like teachers or business leaders, or even just like parents, what are some things that you have seen in, in the workplace or being the undercover millennial that you could maybe some advice that you can give to create that environment for people to grow, to help rookies be the best that they can possibly be? Yeah. So the book is kind of, it's targeted a little bit to corporate, right? So like managers and CEOs, but it also, that's universal principles that can apply if you're a mother or you're a father, or you are a husband, or a wife, or you have a spouse or a partner. It it applies to all of that because it's all universal relationship-based skills on how we create stronger connections. 
So the one thing that I would say is everybody wants to be seen, heard, and understood. But one of the greatest things that great leaders do and great influencers do is they communicate people's potential and worth so well to the point that they see it within themselves. If you can do that as a leader, if you know how to make sure that somebody is recognized, if they do a good job, you recognize that. And they know that if they do a good job, they will be recognized. So that's worth. I want to be shown continuously that I'm worth it. I have meaning. I, I, I get seen. And then number two is potential. If your people can't grow where they're at, they're going to go and grow somewhere else. So we found that great leaders were really good at creating growth development opportunities, opportunities for expansion, opportunities to grow, opportunities for increase in pay, opportunities to thrive in their place of work, not just survive. Like nobody grows up just saying, I want to be a sandwich artist at Subway. Like I've yet to hear somebody that's like, my dream job is to work at McDonald's. Like I just haven't heard it. I haven't heard it. However, when you can create that opportunity in those jobs, when you can create the possibility to become something more to help them achieve their dreams by communicating their potential, it matters. That's all Mr. Jensen did for me. Yeah, when I, I was going to say. From that moment, dude, it was, it was a small pair of drumsticks that communicated my worth and it communicated my potential to the point that I saw it within myself and it changed my life. So get really good at communicating the worth and the potential of your people. Be a Mr. Jensen. Be a Mr. Jensen. That's so awesome. Well, we're, we're running out of time. I do have one last question that I want to ask you. And you talked a little bit earlier how if people were in a harder time, it's all just about like that next, that's just one thing or that 1% every single day to grow, whether yeah. that's getting out of bed or whether that's, you know, putting on your shoes or taking a shower. And so the question I want to ask now is, as far as like a commitment goes, if you could give a commitment to people that were listening, what is like one thing that people can do today just to change just a little bit or to move towards the right direction so that they can live the life that they want to, that they can live that rarest form of life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I've always heard like, like be, better, be better today than you were yesterday, right? Or today, do more than you did yesterday. And to me, sometimes when I hear that, I'm like, that's exhausting. Right is yesterday was crazy. (laughs) And now I've got to do more than that. So here's the word that I would leave with everybody. And it is the word called consistency. Man, that word to me more than ever lately in my life has, is just gold. It has changed so much for me. Uh, This is really helpful for me. Uh, Long-term consistency will always trump short-term intensity. Long-term consistency will always trump short-term, cons- uh, short-term intensity. There's a guy, his name is James Lawrence. Ever heard of this dude? Mm-mm. James no. Lawrence is known as the Iron Cowboy. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. So this dude ran 50 Ironmans in 50 days in 50 states. Like, crazy 
like an Iron Man to me, like, dude, I, I struggle to go up the stairs and down, right? Like that's like 50 Ironmans in 50 days in 50 states is literally an impossible feat. And everybody told him it was impossible. It's impossible physically. It's, it's impossible logistically. Like 50 states in 50 days, like just like, like how to do that. Like the, the mind map of making that happen is wild. And everybody told him he couldn't do it. Well, he did it. He did, he yeah. Did it. And his his name is James Lawrence. Look him up. He's incredible. He's a good homie. He and I have spoken at many events together. He's a great friend. And when we've shared the stage together, or I, I'll watch him speak, he watches me speak, we do our thing. After, if there's ever a QA, everybody always asks him, How did you do it? How did you do the impossible? And he gives the same answer every time and it's i think it's a great point to to leave on here today and he simply says this all i did to do the impossible was commit to doing small things consistently over a long period of time get really good at doing small things consistently over a long period of time Long-term consistency will always trump short-term intensity. So if you can choose one thing, so maybe it's the goal is to lose weight. Maybe the goal is to find that board of mentors. Maybe the goal is to transition from the job that you're working in into your dream job. What is the one thing that will bring about the greatest amount of change? Maybe I need to find that person. Maybe I need to reduce my screen time. Maybe I need to stop eating Twinkies every night, right? What's the one thing? And then, Stay consistent. It's easy for somebody for a week to stay true at something. It's something, you know, everybody gets so ticked off when they're like, man, I've been working out for 10 days and I haven't seen results. When for the last 10 years, you've been eating junk. Like you can't expect great change over a short period of time. But if you stay consistent in those few things over a long period of time, you will see results. It is a fact. It is a principle. If you start eating healthy, if you start exercising 30 minutes a day, you're going to lose weight. It is a universal truth. The key is to just stay consistent in it. Consistency is what truly brings about lasting change. Lasting change. Wow, that was a... That's perfect to end on. Thank you so much. Um, I just, one last thing I want to just say is for everybody that is tuning in or listening, thank you so much for tuning into the self-designed show. Like we've talked a little bit about today, the show is completely just as centered around you as people and becoming the very best versions of yourselves. So please share this with your friends, share this with your family, whatever it is, so that they can just get that little bit of motivation or that little bit of connection that they can just grow a little bit today. Thank you so much, guys. Until next time.